They're all here. The divas, princes, and living legends you should be obsessed with. Sitting down with me. I'm David Goldberg. These are the Luminaries. Before Jay Jordan records his first ever stand-up album tonight, September 24th, at New York Comedy Club, he joins me to talk about his career climb, the recent SNL castings, and his mutant identity. I hope you enjoy. Jay Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Hello. It is a privilege oh my to have you here. David, the honor is all mine. Listen, I got to see you last night at House Party you in did. a gorgeous pink... Um, Asymmetrical crop top, which yes. I'd never seen that style before. Tank top, crop top. Tank top, crop top, asymmetrical. Yeah. Of a, yeah, it was gorgeous. Thank you. I usually go mesh for the house party shows. Mm-hmm. Big fan. Slash all shows. <laughs> Slash all shows. I'm a big fan of like revealing myself both figuratively and literally through comedy and also through fabric. But it was, it's kind of the end of Hot Girl Summer. I wanted to like have a fun look, but I also wanted to like show a little gay bait, which is the space between your hip bone and your navel. And I saw those two exist. Yeah, exactly. A little waistband peekaboo action. I, you know, I have an interesting relationship with mesh because I don't ever think that I'm being scandalous when, when I'm wearing mesh. I just feel like that's kind of the end game of fabric is like you should be able to see my whole body and I guess I should be covered. Yeah, I, but I like that you get a double silhouette. You get the outline, exactly. especially if you play with proportions a bit because you can like make it a billowy piece, but exactly. then it's also still very seductive. Yeah, but you, you know, something I do want to say to you is, <laughs> listen, okay. Gays this, I would say gays this summer discovered close friends. Okay, okay? Yes. And we have made the close friends feature on Instagram ours. Anytime I see straight women using close friends, I love you. You're just not getting it's it, okay? Just, but when I, there is one close friend of mine that is a cis white woman, and she uses it correctly because she uses it to post gossip about her job and or auditions. Great. Which is that... Un- Nipples or gossip? That's it. Yeah, but like pictures at the airport is like no, no, no not at I, all. I if I see the green light, I want to see some shit go down. Yeah. However, t- this is what I was saying. <laughs> Close friends has provided many of us with this kind of beautiful space where like a queer brotherhood where you and your like gay friends who you don't actually want to hook up with, you can still post a naked picture and get all this love and support. Yes. However, that did not always exist. And the person who I think was doing the most work was Jay Jordan. Oh my goodness. Because I, anytime I post something, I know Jay is going to be like right there. 100%. Thank you for giving someone their flowers while they can still smell them. Because I don't think that enough people understand how much hard work we had to do, like letting people know this is what it was going to be. I have people of my close friends that aren't even in this state. Mm -hmm. A few people, and this is not to brag, that aren't even in this time zone. Mm -hmm. And this century. This century. (laughs) Which is like, politically, they're not. And what happens is whenever I post something on there, whenever a close friend of mine posts something, I big up it. I usually heart reaction, Mm -hmm. maybe triple devil emoji, a standard, you know. Just so they know, I see you and good job. You look good. Yes, but, you know, I, I on a larger note, it's very hard to give other gay men a, a compliment. It is. Especially when it comes to looks because you're it's very scary. You don't want them to take it the wrong way. You don't want... You don't want to either seem desperate or you don't want them to be desperate. Something that you've had long before we started this. Long before. Friends, you're like... 
you seem to be okay with everyone, and I never got a note of um, competition from you. No, that's because I will. I always consider myself an outlier and an outsider. So, uh, competition usually comes from closeness, proximity, mm. a number of interactions where you go, oh, this is a rival. I've seen them so many times. I keep seeing them in the lane next to me at this swim meet. That's competition. For mm. me, I was always very grateful for the opportunity to be invited to a dance at this school. I don't even go here. Oh, wow, right. thank you for letting me come. Oh, man, this is so cool. It was me getting to go to a fun sleepover because I just so happened to be the cousin of someone and I was staying in town. There was never... You know what I mean? Yeah. And that comes from, like, shows in New York. That comes from sh- in Manhattan. That comes from shows in Brooklyn. I just always felt very welcome, and I was trying my best to always be a good guest. I was never a person who was like, oh, yeah, yeah I better be on this. Like, it ne- I never felt that way. I can still go to the club coming and be like, thank you so much for having me. Like, it doesn't. Right. But ironically, I feel like you've become one of the more reliable faces in this scene. Where okay. it's like... If you're on a bill, we know you're going to bring it. And I think you're becoming more of a headliner, which I think you would agree. So how how does that transition feel? The transition... From, like, crawling up to, like, starting to feel kind of in the center. Well, yeah. I mean, very comfortable on all fours, but also becoming (laughs) bipedal, uh, very evolution of man chart right now. (laughs) I think that the best thing to say is that I just... I enjoy more time, but I also know that because of the amount of time I've been given on spots now or on shows is you have to be good, great, but also you don't want there to be this air of pretense. So I always try to make sure that at the top there's something just for the show, kind of to let you as an audience member know, I'm here. I've been watching the show. I'm yeah. with you guys. It happened last night at House Party. Yeah. And that's something I kind of told, I confided in Drew and Zach, is every time I do House Party, have a fun joke for them, whether it's a joke about, I, I had like a, I had a Book of Mormon joke a few shows ago for them, then I had a one really funny, they look like two employees at Urban Outfitters that are hitting on me, and then I realized, no way, they're just following me through the store, kind of. <laughs> Joke, and then last night I had the Hanshin and Hanshin understudy from Spring Awakening joke, but it's always just for the show, for the crowd. I want to let them know that okay, I'm here. Okay, that's the vibe. This is the language that we've constructed. Yeah, let's make sure we're all on the same page. So, you um, are recording your debut album, my debut comedy album. Yes, on September 24th. September 24th, New York Comedy Club, 7 p.m. and 9:15 p.m. Two take Jake. Well, oh, it's double. Two, yeah, two live, Hello. two live recordings, and then you kind of mix and edit. Uh, between the two. Sorry, you guys are having to hear how the sausage is made. Do we know about outfit? Ooh, probably a new one. Okay. Probably, yeah, 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 a new one. Uh, Lately, and and this is something I never really considered myself saying before, but I'm a big fan of, like, pieces from Sandro, and uh, I'm trying to think who else has, like, done really, really fun flirty prints this summer. There are a couple of people. Sandro and then who else? Like, Sorry, I'm being of no help here. Oh, no. Uh, Garrison, my, my boyfriend, he like has, there are enough of them in our closet that I'm like, oh, they had that one too. Uh, it's just like I want something fun, and, but then I also want something that lets people know, okay, yeah, showtime. And that was, oh, the Couples. I have, a okay. show, that was what I actually wore 
when I was in Montreal that I was like super, I love that shirt. And so those kind of fun little statement pieces. I might even like have it buttoned a little lower. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do tank top, but I'll definitely do something fun. So with this kind of big moment, uh, I know you've had an extremely busy year. You did JFL this uh, Just yes. for Laughs, which is this festival in Montreal that people in comedy think is basically like <laughs> getting to go clear with Scientology <laughs> and people who aren't in comedy couldn't give a shit about. Okay. Yeah, people, it, whenever a comic oh, or a host brings me up and they go, you saw him at JFL, the audience is like, he is so small for football. And I go, this is, <laughs> they don't care. Let me just say something right now. They don't care. Anytime you're in something that uses <laughs> acronyms, it doesn't sound good. Okay? So any Jewish nonprofit or rabbinical school that uses acronyms like uh, AJU or anything like that, it sounds like a cult. Anytime that you're on a UCB team, even the, the, the word UCB, it does not sound good. So when people are crying about mod or other gibberish words or JFL, which no one knows what it means, you sound psychotic enough. Uh, it's okay. the, it's, it really is one of those things where you go, don't, okay, like that's just for us back here. It's Say okay. something important to the yeah. people who paid. So what I wanted to ask was, you've been touring, you've had a really busy year. This album, do you feel, this recording, this moment, do you feel like you could have done this a year ago? Do you feel like no. you gained something over the last year getting here? That sort of thing. 100% gained something. And not only was it experience, it was just a honing. Yeah. It was, uh, a, I mean, the year and experience and opportunities kind of, I use them as launch, pla- launch pads, but also as a whetstone, just like make it sharper make it better and that was really cool to see and i did i did a headliner hour a year ago at stand up new york and i was really grateful that grateful for that opportunity but my i'd say like 40 percent of that hour has changed through doing two different college shows in before the summer started in the spring semester and now having done four college shows this fall, kind of continuing that trend and doing like four headliner shows in D.C., you just kind of go, okay, cool. This is, I like this, oh, I like that hour so much more than the one I did two shows ago. That's it. That's stamp, at least beginning, middle, and end. And it's kind of set up and divided into six sections for me. And I've played with the piecing of those sections, but I still kind of go, this feels good and then there's a pop somewhere and I go okay maybe maybe there is room to change but I couldn't have done this a year ago I wouldn't have wanted to and I don't think I would have been ready to you know a lot of the scene has this sort of like yeah I'm here performing but I don't give a shit or like yeah I'm here performing but whatever I'm a potato or I'm in sweatpants (laughs) whatever anytime I've ever seen you perform I'm like okay Jay's actually here to work like Jay is building towards something and Jay isn't here to waste anyone's time no I I love the audiences that we get that are full of queer kids that get our very universal references and get our super deep cuts I love the comics that grew up watching the same weird stuff as me that mm-hmm. want to have a discussion about a very particular part of a Reno 911 episode or who want to talk about Jurassic Park, the best Futurama episode ever. <laughs> but I also know that you're going to play the way you practice. So if people pay 10 bucks and I'm getting paid 20 bucks 
and unlimited drink tickets and like as many close friend pictures as I can get from the comics, then I might as well do a good job on that show. Also, I think it's so cool to try. It's yeah. so cool to try. It's just, it really is. Yeah. It's really cool to try. And and a lot of people don't. I always beat, yeah. beat myself up when I tried and failed, but it's like you still were something in you was pushing. And there's like a very large there's a very large kind of like through line about that statement that then kind of nesting dolls into like even joke writing. So it's very cool to try in general. So that's like just from a professionalism standpoint. It's very try. It's very cool to try. That's from a delivery standpoint. Then from a construction standpoint, it's very cool to try. So that means you can take that joke apart, all the pieces, and say, okay, this is why it's funny. This is why it works. And from a very classic constructionist standpoint, you can say, okay, I tried with that joke. So if it doesn't work, at least I know why. Ooh. It's not a throwaway. I can get some sort of empirical data from this joke. I can look at it. There's a metric to it. That's also, I think that applies to like sex and dating. Ooh, it sex, does. 100%. You know you can't do doggy first. Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I am I get so in my head about rejection. And sometimes it's like, what did we learn tonight? Wow. How about that? Like, how about instead of like they hated me, I'm never going out again, but like, how about what what did I like? What didn't I like? What am I into? Yeah. What stimulates me? It's and the same with performance. How do I get how do I tell that person to be a better kisser without sounding like a butthole? How do I initiate yes. and casually like coax them towards right. a style that I'm more comfortable with? Where do we meet in the middle with the amount of roughness of this? And I am curious about that because you do have something which few other people in this scene do. I feel like you are able to do both both sorts of crowds, oh. which is like quote, quote, broad audiences and Danger. then Brooklyn Dungeon uh, Goblin Society people see, And people say audiences. Brooklyn and literally I say it's it's Brooklyn, Lower East Side, and wherever else people feel like putting up a show. What happens is I consider myself like a a very lucky hybrid. Mm -hmm. I'm a child of both worlds. And this kind of is stupid because what it does is like assumes the binary status of comedy in New York. Like yes. you're either a dinosaur or you believe in dinosaurs. So it's like right. I know. It what I feel like there are gradations to it. Like, Broussard actually exists kind of, like, as a cusp baby, too. Like, okay. Matthew Broussard, he's, like, a, he kind of straddles. Um, Is he gay or straight? No, he's a straight, okay. handsome man. He looks like the opposite of... He looks like everyone's grandma would be like, he's so handsome. Right. Okay. <laughs> and he does a good job with both kinds of crowds. And it happens, like, Lower East Side and Brooklyn. But... I just really like my jokes, but I also like my life. So the ability to have classic construction comedy and kind of rely on conventional methodologies and delivery systems when it comes to some of my formatting, but also making sure the material is either explicitly intersectional or yes. implicitly intersectional, then people go, why did that, why did that resonate? Yeah. What was that? And I go, you just had fun. That was it. Yes. I'm not going to tell you. I was, don't look back here. <clears throat> Pay no attention to this man behind the curtain. But you just have fun. 
did did I talk about a lot of things that you were like, wait a minute, hold on. Did I explain to you why I feel like the fallacy of like men's safe spaces and man caves are just brunches? Like, yes, but like also you can enjoy brunch, baby boy, if you want to. Um, I'm curious what the challenges have been as, uh, as you've been developing. You get you <laughs> you make friends and then especially with this past week, you see people that you really like sometimes say shit that is apologetic towards <laughs> kind of out it just like really out there racism and you go, I thought but I liked you. I like tweeted, I was like, this week you just I've seen a lot of white people that I really thought I liked just kind of wilding. So let's just get into this because <laughs> basically I... Uh, I'm glad you asked that though because as a person who uh, performs for a lot of rooms, it's weird that some of the people who won't ever perform for those more avant-garde, less conventional rooms and spaces say you got to be performing everywhere, but then they couldn't go up at house parties. So I like, agree. And... They don't understand what it means for you to go into a mainstream room because yeah. you, yes, you can do the cabaret uh, German bullshit <laughs> that we love, but you can do what very few people in that world can do, which is go into like Caroline's yeah. or more touristy or anything. 100%. They can be great audiences too. I'm just saying, like, you actually have demonstrated a lack of fear when it comes to well, that and, and to. versatility, which they don't have. I have to. And the crazy part about that is, like, you, until you see that straight-laced couple from Ohio, and by Ohio, I mean Pennsylvania, and by Pennsylvania, I mean <laughs> West Virginia. Like, until you see that couple that has literally never seen a queer black person, except for the one time they, like, were flipping channels and Dreamgirls was on for a second, like, that, until you perform and for they them, Murphy. <laughs> and, they, and they come up to you at the end of the show and go, I loved your football stuff. And wow. you go, oh, okay. Thank you. You know what? Thank you. Right, right. <laughs> Have fun. A cool shirt. No one else has it here. I love <laughs> New York, too. Like, it's very, it's heartwarming, but you also go, oh, thank good. You kind of go, you wipe beads of sweat from your brow. It's like this. The minute you get, like, a big pop in those rooms, you're like, okay, cool. We got it. Okay, we're but here. But you had to do work to get that. Yeah. It's not, you did not just walk on stage and say like, what, you don't like me? Why not? You had to be like, I'm going to make you like me. <laughs> what do you don't like me? <laughs> so look, let's put this in perspective because I asked Jay to be on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, fortuitously enough, yeah. the timing has worked out <laughs> to lead to a kind of fruitful conversation because over the last week we had a bit of a scandal, which is... Uh, Not really a bit of a scandal. You know why it is a scandal with a capital S? Because non-comedy people know are, about it. So would you, yeah, could you kind of give us some... All right, what's yeah, going on? and because we, we, we both are kind of close to the subject, so objectivity and the ability to remove oneself from it and speak about it objectively is paramount. And then it can get, we can talk about it personally. But SNL cast members were announced. Three new cast members were announced, two of whom I know more than one. Uh, and But it's the opposite for me. I've been on... Uh, I was Shane the JFL. Oh, so you know him. Here's okay. the crazy. That's this is the crazy okay. craziness. Shane the JFL with me, and Shane did the Clusterfest callback with me at Fat Black Pussycat. The other two comedians are uh, Chloe mm -hmm. Finman. That's how you say yes. it, Finman. 
and the king, the, <laughs> the emperor, king. the king, the, the emperor, the person without whom I don't know that I would be doing this. Yeah, is, is Bo and Yang, who, the Bo and Yang, who has been a writer on SNL and has been working very hard on a lot of things. And for who a long time, and, and, and is now going to be a cast member? And it's like be historic. pre 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 um, Kim Jong Un. Uh, character work. I was like, yeah. why is uh, he? He was on camera three, three times or twice in season premiere in the writers' room when they like went to a cut to. And I was like, he needs to be on camera more. I was like, he better be on camera more this so season. Subtle. I was like, it's He's just gonna so be one. Of, I was like, it's gonna be one of those things where like that writer keeps popping up. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Kim Jong Un was also really something that only a gay man could do yeah. because it was so... It, talking about being an outsider, the way he did that performance was so not what you expect. Uh, He's so, so smart. Okay. Uh, so, basically, this... Uh, the white dude who I'd never heard of, Shane, Shane apparently Gillis. has... You know, they, they exhumed some relatively recent uh yeah, interviews. 2018. Okay, so it's not like he something that Dustin Hoffman did 30 years ago. This is like very recent uh of him uh, yeah. doing what exactly? This isn't John Hughes creating a character called Long Duck Dong. Uh right. this is literally last September. <laughs> so it was I mean, it was just straight up an odd and it's tough to talk about podcasts on a podcast cuz it's a snake eating its own tail, but it was a uh, a podcast appearance that was uncovered and not really uncovered, just kind of pointed out where just, I mean, the most virulent strain of racism towards mm. East Asian people, just as far as like from a, from a like easy, these are cultural references joke, but also to like a very just like kind of terrible, like nothing but C words. And so that came out and then there was definitely more that was going to come out. Two more things came out, okay. then something about the way that he talked about Chris Gethard's special came out, and Chris Ge he like had to call Chris Gethard, and Chris Gethard was like, he gave an interview, I think it was to Variety, and he said, I forgave him, but I also said that young comedians, maybe not every thought that you have needs to be put down and put out, and I understand that he has a lot of fish to fry, so I just kind of said, okay, cool. I hope you grow from it. Um, so I want to kind of frame this argument, th this conversation, because I really want to hear a lot of your take on it. And to frame this for people who don't know, last year in the summer of 2018, there was a similar scandal with a comedian who calls Southern Mama. Is that what he's called? Yes. At the Just for Last Fest Festival. Yes. Jay wrote a very, very erudite uh, response to it in Vulture. <laughs> and I wanted to read a quote, um, a quote yeah. from the piece. Um, this is from last summer. And Jay said, his statements managed to take the focus away from performers of color, female performers, and queer performers. In a way, this very article and others like it are in no small part a testament to his success in conveying his message. A social media personality who utters predictable Southern mama-isms, who started doing comedy in his car two years ago, earned more attention and focus than the talented, diverse, award-winning comics featured on the Variety Showcase. Even when a white man fails, his failure seems to suck up all the oxygen in the room, and that is the saddest part of this entire fiasco. So I wanted to use that kind of to frame... Uh, this conversation. Wow. Whoever wrote that. <laughs> it's damn good. When I read that piece last summer, I was like, okay, Jay. Uh, I had no idea. Yeah, first it's degree was good, in English. That was, uh, of all the, th this is the issue when these sorts of things happens. 
there's a lot of noise. Everyone claps in. Everyone has something to say. And you did such a good job, not just of saying, like, I'm actually a queer, black, hardworking stand-up. I have something to say, but of saying it very well. Um, and not that it, what I mean to say is that wasn't the statement in itself. You actually really, really broke it down. So I, I'm just curious, like, what you've noticed this time around. I've noticed that there were more people that said, hey, this is this is messed up. But, and I don't like the equivocation. There were yeah. so many people that would go, hey, this is messed up. But, and the but leaves so much room for any sort of like crazy, like bigotry to get a foothold that you can't say, no, it's not a but. It's this is messed up. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> this is messed up. Congrats. Yeah. Can we can I say congrats a few more times so I can so everyone forgets about that this is messed up. Congrats, congrats, congrats. Exactly. Congrats. And it happened again and hauntingly like ironically or just like because the universe is sick and Lauren Michaels has like a red phone that he can call up God on. Like it was insane the specific target of the racist podcast just so happened to be a group that finally got representation yeah. on the show. Do you know? Like, and that's even insane. What also was very, what pissed me off about it is like, I just, Bowen is such a colossal presence and talent and arbiter. So, I'm like, yes, I understand he's the first Asian-American performer on SNL. To me, he's going to be the first faggot on SNL. Yeah. I know they've had gay people on, but Bowen is going to completely blow that open. Yeah. And Bowen is also just one of the best hires they've had in the last decade. So it this whole thing has reduced it into these really like boring terms. Yeah, I'd much rather still talk about the actress. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. That's what I, I do want to talk about a groundbreaking sketch that actually used a, a sex worker and a porn performer in a sketch about sex workers and porn performers with Emma Stone. That's that insane. Genius. It was genius. And, you know, I, I wanted your perspective about this because it comes down to my two favorite things, which I love to talk about, which is straight mediocrity and white mediocrity. And, you know, you're someone who's really work, who really, really, really works, 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 works. Thank and has you. worked your, to get everything you have. And I am curious when you see these kind of dialogues from people who are in the industry and outside of the industry. And when it comes down to, like, what these people deserve, what they're entitled to, that's when it there's a very dark edge to it because I'm like, no one, no one is owed a casting. No on one SNL. owes anyone anything. Right. So if if something's taken away, it, it gets turned into this like tragedy for him, and it's like, well, also I don't the, know who he is. Also, the craziest thing about that is you still you go, oh, that person didn't get this thing, but they still had a they had a year that people would murder family members for right. in comedy. You don't... Technically, I guess that's a comedy triple crown for any up-and-comer because... And I can say this because, personally, I I was on these shows. Shane got Clusterfest. Shane got Clusterfest, flew back to New York to do Skankfest, got JFL. The people who got Clusterfest and JFL in the same year include Jabuki. Right. <laughs> 
do you do you, like the like that's <laughs> dude, that's like the territory we're talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, try to think who got it this year. It was Shane, and it was uh, it was Chappelle Lacey. So I'm just very. I'm, I'm trying to think the best way to phrase this. I he had a crazy year, an amazing year up until this point. So when people are like, "Oh, you went digging for this," you didn't go. You didn't go digging for this. What you did is say, "Wow, this guy's blowing up." Yeah. Name Google. You went. Wow. Oh my gosh. It's not. That's like someone being like, "Jay, I found that Vulture article," and I was like, "Yeah." And they go, "I found it." Very, very good. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's not you. If you have this much industry heat, it's never some bitter journalist. Like you can't get mad at anyone who works at Vulture and say, "Oh, these people are poisonous." It's literally part of their job to cover comedy, like extensively, exclusively, deeply, and kind of like unapologetically. So much so that whenever people would call out. Other comedians, they'd be like, oh, how dare you say you're happy for this person to lose your job. And I don't think anyone goes, oh, I'm happy a person lost their job. I'm happy a, I'm happy this, like, non-specific person lost their job. But you can say, I'm happy a racist or someone who likes to say racist things for laughs understands their consequences. consequences. That's, that's not, really that's not a crazy thing to this. say. I think what it comes down to is that for a lot of people in this world – consequences are something they've grown up with on every step. And if you think about people in people of color, people who have been ostracized and people who have come from the outside and have to climb their way up, they know that they can't make mistakes, that everything they wear, everything they do and everything they say is being watched. And then you have people who grow up in an alternate reality where there are no consequences. And I speak as someone who in many ways came from that world I have family members who completely operate in that world. <laughs> and when there are consequences, finally, at some point, it seems as if a guillotine is coming down or we're being unfair. And sometimes we have been. And here's the crazy part about the guillotine. That was consequences. Exactly. <laughs> and that was final. That's what sucks when people are like, what is this, the French Revolution? You'll be like, oh, are, do you, you think you're the... Aristocrats yeah. in this? Because if yeah. so, you've really set us up to look good. And I want to, I, I want to ask you about that. I want to ask you from the perspective, and I, I know you can't speak for other people who have been cast on this show, but just in terms of what compared to some of, I know what I mean to say is, he isn't the only person who has acted like that and who comes from that world. Yeah, of a kind of myopic yeah. perspective. And I'm curious. As someone well, who's it's... observed from the outside, as someone who's had to work as hard as you have, what you what the kind of takeaway is here about work, entitlement, what's owed and what isn't? What's What's interesting about this very specific case is that there is a groundswell, unfortunately, and completely tied to and inextricably linked to the same sort of like quasi-populist quote-unquote movement in politics on the right of white boys who basically want to turn stages into first-person shooter games. And I don't mean that they want to kill people. What I mean is that they want to be able to say nigger over the headset and get a reaction. Because transgression is funny when you're younger. It's the difference between class clown and wittiest, in my opinion. Class mm. clowns usually grow up to be abusive and make teachers' days hard. Wittiest make teachers go, oh, could you just stop it for a second? 
Like it's to me, that's the divide every now and then. Yeah. And so if you're lashing out, if you say, oh, I discovered that the reason I can say this word is because it seems to be the easiest passable form of racism, then the people who go, yeah, I agree with that. You should be able to say that. They're part of a group that feels like they lost something because of the popularization of like the scenes that we're talking about. Like it's all linked and people don't know that because you shouldn't have to unless you're in this terrible industry, but it's all connected. It's people saying, Oh, I can't get I can't get a meeting with Comedy Central because I'm not gay and I don't have a podcast. I'm gonna go on this other podcast that says they don't care about Comedy Central. Oh wait, the guy who has this podcast, he had a deal with Comedy Central and it fell through. That's why he's mad. Wait a second, I'm gonna get more mad. I'm gonna do it's all linked. All of these people know each other. So it's yeah. never oh yeah, cancel culture is real. No, like someone did have something go through and they got mad because they felt like they were owed it. Exactly. I'm thinking about, you know, there's a part in Tina Fey's book, Bossy Pants, where she's talking about how with SNL, they would always romanticize the kind of like loose cannon men that you could have. And Tina Fey said like when she got 30 Rocks, she didn't want to have any like wild mavericks she was like i need to have people who if we're staying up till 3 a.m writing i know that like they're good and they're not gonna have a meltdown and i think about i'm getting emotional saying this but like when i think about karen chi who is a writer for seth yes i'm gonna gonna start crying but karen's a writer for seth meyers and is probably the hardest working person one of her 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 amount the amount of Things she's written for McSweeney's is extensive. And Karen, when I wrote about her in Time Out, wrote me a thank you note. Like, Karen is someone, when you think about, and I'm not trying to turn this into a race thing I'm, or a woman thing. I'm talking about a professionalism yeah. thing. And uh, gratitude, professionalism, hard work, that all gets kicked out of the conversation by these guys. And, yeah. and, and this discourse, that's what I think is so poisonous about this discourse, is it makes the other people who got cast or who have these dream opportunities it makes it seem like they they're cashing in too they're not the ones cashing in and to and whenever people the other part of it is that i think there are very funny people on both sides of this argument and that's because funny doesn't have a morality Exactly. Do you like that? You know what I mean? Like there are people that like probably can write some of the tightest jokes in the world that also believe black people are different species. Do you know? Like it's it's there. Yeah. So saying comedy has to be the thing that makes brings us together. That can't be it. When my humanity is a question. That's really tricky, too, because, you know, generally I'm against uh, retroactive moralism, which means to say I don't like looking in the past and saying this thing that was influential is now problematic. I don't think it's really interesting. But there is something to be said of like, yeah, like Eddie, let's think about Eddie Murphy. How do you deal with that? And here's the crazy part about that. Let's think about. Let's think about Eddie Murphy and Faggot Revisited. Let's revisit it. But that, yeah. that's the title of the track. Let's think about the fact that, like, Chevy Chase. Yeah. I, like, that, like, those kind of things, to me, you just have to be able to discuss and possibly move on. But in 2018... We don't have time. 2019. 2019. Well, the podcast was <laughs> oh, in 2019. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> in 2019, now, you don't, I don't have to just go, oh, yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's just how they are. Like, no, yeah. this is in the Thanksgiving dinner table. I can say something. Uh, yeah, and I'll, uh, <laughs> it's just weird because like we're heading next year's going to be an election year. You want more points of view, not more myopic. I mean, yes. I, I don't. I want to hear what these other people have to say. I, we've all seen election seasons of SNL a hundred times. But so you market, new. market, market. How do we sell things? Who's I mean, to quote Matt Rogers and Bo and Yang, too niche. They're so, like, what happens when people go, oh, David, I don't know if people will relate to the podcast because you talked about Helmut Lang. Like, they're just so, there's so many elements. This is what pisses me off because (laughs) you and I are both X-Men fans and you and I are queer and we come from a point of view of look up, believe in the future, and want more. But also, if you go to that school, you will die. Yeah, you will be exploded. (laughs) Comedy is that school. (laughs) But I I just hate, hate that mediocrity got resold as... Um, authenticity. Authenticity. There's also I don't have the I don't have the comfort to be the okay guy on the show. That's it. That is it. Because every year SNL casts a white guy who I've never heard of, a straight white dude I've never heard of, will never see again. But even That's smaller, it. I don't have the opportunity to be just okay on a bar show. Yeah, At least in my head, I I can't. I don't have it because my Lumineers joke will fall flat next to someone else's Lumineers joke. So I have to talk about stuff that is about me. Yeah. I, I just can't. I don't have the ability. And it's it sucks, but it also made me a very, very good writer and a good performer. Because I was like, well, I'm going to have to really work and really like tee up these jokes and make sure like each one of these is followed through very soundly and swiftly. <laughs> Marsha had Marsha Belsky had this great tweet last year when Aziz Ansari came back. She was like, okay, what was that um fuck I already forgot. What was that internet meme um where you heard a noise? Oh and it Yanni Laurel. Yeah so Marsha was like, okay, well, Aziz is doing Yanni Laurel material now, so have fun, I guess. That's what she wrote. Oh, my God. And it was like, oh, yeah, right, 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 right. So, like, there is a sense about, you know, when I hear you say that, Jay, I'm like, oh, well, Jay's going to have great longevity because he's actually investing and, like, going in. Also, the the crazy thing about specials now and we can kind of talk about the Chappelle special too in this regard is that like Chris Rock said something a while ago where he was like at what point are they specials and at what point are they just regulars like it took me 31 years to write this to do this album yeah it took me 31 years and however many months from the minute my agency and my manager said you want to do it and I said yes and Comedy Dynamics said yes we'll fund it and New York Comedy Club said yes and I yeah. still had to work on that hour a few more times I just had to run it four more times it took me that long to do this album recording what makes you think that I need to hear from you every year or twice a year I don't need to that, and that's crazy that's a crazy concept because people say don't you want more comedy don't you just want as much comedy as you can get and I love it I love comedy like this i love to be able to have fun with my friends yeah but like how many specials from one person and i'll specify that how many specials from one person can i hear in a certain amount of time 
if I'm not learning anything or if they haven't gone through anything. Chris Rock had to come out with tambourine because he went through a divorce. Right. You know? Wanda Sykes had to go through a double mastectomy. It's not. Right. It just can't be because you feel like it. Right. And you need to, like, be living. You yes. need to, like, do. I, I. This is why I had Shalewa on the show, and it was so great, because Shalewa started when she was 37. Oh, my God. And she's God. 47 now, and she's like, we just talked about all the 23-year-old comedians we know who are like, why, why aren't things hitting for me? And it's like, you need to... And this, this, I would only say this to them because I have to say this to myself. Like, what are you saying? Yeah. And maybe you don't need to say it until you're ready. You know, you don't always need to be making noise because other people are making noise. Make it when you're ready and we will listen. I used to tell my acting one students, if you haven't had a job you hate, if you haven't yeah. lost, if you haven't gone on a bad day, how in the hell? Will I ever believe anything that you're going through if these circumstances are so far removed from your existence? Because all you're trying to do is be a better actor. If all you want to do is be an actor, how the hell can you be a character? I, in my screen, That's what happens, and sorry, yeah. unless you want to cast me in something soon, because of Ryan Murphy and people like not understanding, not understanding that Rachel Berry was a bad person, they go, oh yeah, that's me. I'm... Oh, I'm classic Rachel Berry. And I go, you don't want to be. No. No. Where is Leah Michelle right now? I she's wonder. doing something. She's, 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 listen, she's probably, I don't know, at a pret. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they she's have getting those. a bowl somewhere. Yeah, getting a bowl. Getting you know, an acai my, bowl. In my screenwriting class, God, I can't believe I'm even talking about college. I'm so humiliated. But Do it. Um, in my screenwriting class, my teacher the first day would ask, like, what's the worst thing that's ever happened in your life? And there was this one person in my class who was a nice straight boy from North Carolina. And, you know, people talk about their divorce. My parents were swingers. My brother's in prison, blah, blah, blah. And he said, like, oh, well, my girlfriend in junior year dumped me. And it was just like, I, I can't, I don't want anyone to have tragedy in their life. And I'm not saying that tragedy makes your life more interesting. But just in terms of point of view, I was like, okay, okay, like, great. I cannot wait for the profound work you're going to churn out. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I'm thinking about that Fran Lebowitz. Fran Lebowitz has this thing, which is like, actors, you can have prodigies. Musicians, you can have prodigies. Writers, and I think this is true of comedians too, have to actually, like, develop over time. Yeah. And Fran Lebowitz is like, why do you think Toni Morrison's work only got better over the years, you know? Yeah. People people think, hopefully, because of, uh, because of hyaluronic acid, that I'm younger than I actually am. But Same. I'm 30. I'm 31, you guys. And, I mean, I'm 31. Do you understand? Like, I went to undergrad. I went to graduate school. I worked as a personal trainer. I you went from Mississippi to Alabama I went from to New York. To Alabama to New York. It's not. There was no point in time where I was like, I'm just gonna get up here and do everything. I moved to New York, had a theatrical agent who literally would say things like, Oh yeah, what do you want to do? And I go, Oh, I, uh, like half hour comedies. Like anytime you can send me in for anything. Primarily, uh, primarily TV and film. But I guess like if you see something really fun come across your desk from a stage standpoint. I'd like to do that. And the next week she'd be like, okay, so kinky boots. I'd be like, that's not, <laughs> that's not at all what I, 
oh my god like do you like my the person who was the advisor for my senior showcase my graduate showcase at the University of Alabama they were like okay Jay so you have one comedy uh, scene and you're gonna do a dramatic monologue and I straight up told him I said it's enough sad black people in New York I'm gonna do another comedy scene <laughs> I was like, why? You, I was like, okay, let me just, this is me dusting off the August Wilson Decalogue. This is the Pittsburgh cycle. Which monologue do you want me to do about whatever? No, like, let me just do another comedy scene. And so I've always known what I've wanted to do, but I've still had to live my life knowing that maybe it would manifest itself in some way that I'm not yeah. aware of yet. So I want to ask you before we wrap up this kind of dark segment. Been, I like it, this though. This has been hot, yeah. Well, So then we don't necessarily have to wrap it. But I want to ask you because I do think, let's say, on our side, quote-unquote, which is like, you know, the more queer-adjacent or leftist-adjacent part, when these sorts of things, I also don't think that we're we're so pure and we're so good because I often feel like this is we usually fuel the fire and make it so much worse. And sometimes, like this time, I didn't even check Twitter on Friday because I was like, I know what I'm in for. And it still becomes very navel-gazing and self-serving. And I'm curious about your point of view of that. So let's take out the pigs um, who are like (laughs) defiantly in support of him. And I'm just curious, when these sorts of things happen, what are you kind of noticing that people who you think maybe mean well are doing that maybe isn't so constructive? I, if you didn't congratulate more than you finger pointed, you look back at your retweets and your good. quote tweets. There if you, you didn't say, oh my gosh, congratulations more than you pointed, then you did that. You gave a bunch of air good. to a fire. You, and air that, like, it was desperately needing for it to get huge. Also, if you, and this is going to sound so mean, and I really don't care. If you <laughs> aren't getting, if you aren't actively getting better at comedy, then don't use this as a moment to, like, try to make it about you. Mm. Like, does that make sense? Like, it's not going to make your week or your day. What it's going to do is going to make people go, oh, that okay, that's okay. Mm. But you still you still have to be very good about your stuff. You, your house still has to be clean. Your T's have to be cry, crossed. Your I's have to be dotted. Like, it can't, this can't make you at all. It can't. It 100% cannot. I think there's a huge starfuckery aspect to that. Yes. Is, uh, Even if it's like, fuck you, star or person who was going to be a star. You know what I mean? Because like I think there are some comedy writers who get a little sucked into these sorts of stories. And I'm like, okay, you did it. You reported it. Thank you. But also let's go discover people who are great. And see, thank you. I think it's a fight. It's that weird, like, Twitter fights are fun. Like, cause they it's it's evil. You get to be evil if you re- if you like really want to. My big thing is that I said that I missed back when we were all fighting XX Tentacion fans because oh, <laughs> we were all united. Oh, those are it's the so salad easy. days. Yeah, when someone's like, "Yeah, I beat up my pregnant girlfriend and I choked a gay guy, and now they're dead," and you can be like, "Well, thank goodness!" Like that's 
We, it felt very easy. We knew who the bad guys yeah. were. It was uniform war. You know what I mean? It was the Revolutionary War. We all stood in formation. <laughs> we knew what it is. This is guerrilla at this point. We don't know anything. I know. Yeah, there was Vulture did a piece last week in the middle of all this. They released a, a, re, a really great Follow Friday on someone I love to death. Who? It was Brian Bahe. Oh, I love Brian Bahe. I was like, we all need to just read the Brian Bahe story yes. and stop fucking with this, you know? Yeah, and he, he speaking of Starfucker, that's so funny. Not that he's a Starfucker, he has a show called, called Starfucker. Star yeah, I probably should have said that before I said speaking of Starfuckers. Uh, and Jay will be in the Taurus edition. <laughs> yeah, ooh. ooh. He knows my birthday because he is also a Taurus. We're princes. Yeah, well, ooh, I wanted to talk about X-Men with you, too. I do, too. I, there's okay. a lot to talk about there, Ooh, actually. yes. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. And you want to know why, if we want to like think about how we get all this together? Because the X-Men have always been about saying, hey, person who's considered normal by society, what makes you so great? Yes, exactly. Especially by the women of the X-Men. And X-Men has always been about we have our shit together, but yeah. how do we deal with them? Do we always have to expect the worst of them? Is there a chance that they're going to wake up and get smart? And that happens a lot. And us. like warring factions too, like even within, like, yes. and like the ability to like pass as a mutant, like that's a huge thing that they always were able to talk about, but I don't know if, ne if they necessarily articulated it the same way, but like mutants who were like drawn or like, I guess characters that were drawn with like physical mutations that didn't necessarily give them the same ability to uh, kind of exist in space. I was just thinking about this because, and this is going to sound so judgmental, but a friend of mine who's gay and who's very traditionally handsome mm -hmm. to, you know, he looks college educated. We say this next to the Yale Club in Midtown. <laughs> he, he confessed to me that he's attracted to women and that he feels... He's like basically scared and I got kind of, I got I had a really angry reaction because I just as I I have bisexual friends God I hate, the way that sounded was yeah. I have black friends but, but the other, you stopped yourself Some of my other more. bisexual friends are more like in it and with him I just saw it as like an entitlement privilege thing which is like you don't look that gay and you don't sound that gay, so oh, you kind of want to go back. Just the ability And I I'm I'm realizing I'm like Wow, God, is that because I know I have a magneto complex, and I I know people but you know, in New York who have really bad magneto complexes, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how deep I want to get into this. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm I don't know what's real and what's me. I would Scary. even argue, you know, that's more of like a Callisto mask Ooh. complex where you go, what you want to go back up there yeah. with the surface dwellers yeah. <laughs> because you can. And the person's like, I, but they, and so. And Calista's the real fucking deal. And you have to, I feel like you have to give people who are queer the option of saying, wherever your queerness manifests, I'm proud of you for the ability to live in your truth how on whatever gradation or whatever level that is on the volume knob. With, like, other gay people and, like, bi people and queer people in comedy my big thing is i want them to be so good so that straight male white cis 
mean, and I used all of those terms very intentionally and specifically, can't say, oh, that person's an unfunny faggot. Yeah. I want them to be like, God damn it, the faggot's funny. You know what I mean? It's just unfortunate. I never. That... I just. I want them to be so good, and it sucks that we have to be on top of our shit so bad. Exactly. But we do That's right what now. Sucks. I want them to be so good that they are undeniable. It sucks, and it's the way like tons of marginalized groups and minority groups and pushed aside classes have had to exist. But I want them to be so good, and for their work to be so not necessarily polished, but just so undeniably funny that people who traditionally would literally look at them and turn the other way have to be like, okay, what are your avails yeah. for this club? Yeah, and I think that's happening with some of our It people. is. No, you're right. I. It's a shame that there's that much onus, but like with the X-Men, it's like, yeah, I'm sure you want a normal life, but unfortunately you have to be in a mutant peacekeeping <laughs> task force. <laughs> you have to be, the, you sure have to train you in the goddamn danger room. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I'm sure you weren't in a normal life, but here you are in the dorm. I was thinking about the X-Men when I was watching you perform last night because I realized you, your um, construction and the way you speak reminded me of a comic book because a lot of your jokes and punchlines end in a kind of dramatic, operatic cliffhanger. And yes. I, I was, when I was watching you, I was like, oh, I know what this reminds me of specifically that no one else in this audience is catching. It reminds me of the last page of an X-Men mm-hmm. comic when Magneto shows up and says something crazy yes. and then the issue ends. That's how you end your jokes. You end them with a twist. Yes. I there's To me, there's no bigger disappointment than not than saying, oh, is this the penultimate page? There better be something. There is something. Yeah. Oh, like I would never want to leave an audience hanging. It's, to me, the most tried and true form of joke construction the second probably being the well-deserved and well-timed callback the well-deserved and well-timed callback is this is x spoiler alert is monet turning into penance Mm. and you go wait what penance is still around you know what i mean it's to me it does that make sense yes it's a it's a very it's for the people who've been paying attention the whole time yes and so I like writing jokes like that. And I think that comic books for me have provided not only material, but like a bit of like a journey. Like I'm reading, I just read the Iceman solo, like all the trades, all three of them. It's good. It's good at one point, especially because he's fighting with Doc and Wolverine's bisexual, horrible son. Love him. him. And he says, So hot. And and Iceman is fighting him and he stabs him and he goes, Listen, I don't have time for your white boy gay problems. (laughs) Because he is half Asian and he's also a bad guy. Uh, So it's like, just, he, there are times where like intersectionality pops up. You go, Wait a minute, hold on. Uh, So, gay (laughs) Iceman, I think that's also a really cool. Oh, my God. Terrible pun intended. I think it's a really cool moment for queer comic book fans because, to me, first time, like, a person that is undeniable to the world at large, including comic book fans, but everyone knows who Iceman is. If you Usually, if you see someone who grows up in America post-1963, they know. They go, oh, that's yeah. Iceman? Sure. I take it. For him to be gay and to continue to be gay and for it to still be prominent enough that they bring it up and for him to have fun little tryst and one night stands and for him to have a whole solo book about it, I was very happy. I guess I have expectations 
about like I need my gay characters to be so interesting and so dynamic and I always fear when a character just gets gay and that's the story and they just kind of plop it with them and I felt that was the case with Iceman which I resented because you know if you think about Richter and Shatterstar who yeah, are not gay. iconic not well known well, they're iconic but but us. they're not as famous yeah. but their storyline when Richter's like yeah I guess I'm fucking dudes now it was so well written it was so like ingrained because in Shatterstar the came story. back and it, it wasn't even the talk it was look look panel kiss yeah but they were real they were so well written and it wasn't like as much of a stunt and i understand what you're saying which is like who cares how it happened because now we have decades worth of get great gay no but that does matter but i guess you know with when to me my favorite character probably my top five favorite characters is renee montoya who is the question and yeah and my other one is Kate Kane, who's the new Batwoman. Yes. And they, you get, when they're introduced in 52, which I just reread, thank you to the New York Public Library, <laughs> they have this, like, this torrid love affair, this history. Then there's all this shit going down. There's all this action. They hate each other. They love each other. And you're like, oh, good. This is it. It's not just that they're lesbians. It's that we get a story. Yeah. That's what's hard. And I think it was hard because of the comics code and because of the amount of hyper-masculinity in comics, especially with the big houses, especially yeah. with the House of Ideas, and especially, you know what I mean? It's just not, it's tough. It's, like, very easy to say, oh, superheroes are, it's easy to get on stage and go, yeah, superheroes are gay, but then when you read it, you go, they're, oh, they're really, really not. Like, yeah. To the point where, like, in the 70s, they'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna punch you, you fairy, and you'd oh, be like, what? God. <laughs> I know, it's, it's insane. It's so to see it come as far as it has, I've been very happy. I hope that more nerds realize that, like it, it's gonna just continue. Like, yeah. And so that's why the cross section of like queer nerds to me is so awesome. That's why I love FlameCon. That's why whenever Bobby Hankinson asked me to do Flamecon's it, great. I do it. It's because it's such a cool. I love those. I love nerdy gays. But I want the straight gays to read a story and be like, "God, that was so good. I can't even complain that I these characters that are they gay." Are. That's to me the most important. I hope that they are, and I also hope they understand that, like, we will make a character. The character's not gay. Well, we will make them gay. <laughs> Do you understand how many people on Twitter go, "Oh, Kitty Pryde, gay." Oh, Rachel, Kitty and Il- yeah. Iliana. Kitty and Iliana and Kitty and Rachel Gray. Rachel Summers, oh, whatever she God, wants to choose. Rachel, you know what I mean? She's a lesbian. <laughs> and even if we can't make like, them a gay couple, we will we will make them non-traditionally heteronormative. We will go, oh, Scott and Emma. Emma straps the hell out of Scott. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, my God. Big top energy from Emma Frost. And big bottom em- energy Big from, bottom from energy Cyclops. from Cyclops. His whole career. Whatever you Him need trying me to, to do, prove I'll top. do it's for like, you. Just be a bottom. <laughs> So who are if you <laughs> if you could be because I there are a few characters that I'm Ooh. like I am going I don't care if it's comic books movies TV I'm right these characters yes. will be mine one day yes who are those kind of characters for you oh for me where you're like I just want to get my hands on her oh I okay I love that idea I would need it kind of happened with Generation X. And not mm. that I got to write it, but that it came back and it was really cool. I want to write Bling, mm. Anol, Santo, so Rockslide. So this is Bling, Roxie, and wow. Victor, so Anol, and Rockslide. They're like new gay babies. Yeah. And it, 
Rockslide's just a dumb friend, but he's trying his best. But for them to be the focus and for their dumb, straight, huge, monstrous friend yeah. to not be, only be an enforcer and a tank for the team, but also from a durability standpoint, but also just to be like, hey, you guys, like, I don't understand everything, but like, are you guys good? Yeah. Like that's so it's sweet. It's, it's that's and that's what made the originals work because Colossus was like I have everyone's back. Yeah. And when Colossus I'm gonna start crying talking about this. Are you gonna when cry Colossus about it? and Storm when Storm would be like, You're my little brother. Yeah. Come on. You have a black woman and yes. like a Russian bodybuilder who are yes. like, I got you. Not only I got you, but like I, we love each other. Yeah, you're you're my family. Yeah. Oh. oh devastating. Well, I would love to see you do that. I would love to see them go on an adventure and have to and like I feel like the way people are starting and have, but the way people are starting to understand that Storm has been like such a force the from the beginning period. of from the time she was introduced through now. There's not a single time where I was like, Storm's kind of on the back burner. Never. I was like, and girl, you are just growing. All comic book characters and all X-Men characters get hand get passed around by really shitty editors and writers who really defile them. A lot of the characters have really been violated. Storm in some way, she's been poorly written a lot, yeah. but she's never been violated because she, on some intrinsic, essential God level, Goddess you level. can't fuck with it. You cannot, you can't change Storm. She's, she's, she's real, you yeah. know? Even, I mean, to me, there are moments where I get so happy that the X-Men even exist. Mm. And that's like one of those things to be passionate about passionate about outside of comedy that I go, okay, these are the things you also need to look for before you write a joke. Yeah. You need to be like, is there something I care about this much? Ooh. Like I'm reading House of X and Powers of Ten right now, and it's because I care about this this much. I love comedy, but every Wednesday I know what I have to do and where I have Ooh. to go to get this book. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So whenever there are people that get on stage, you have to be passionate about something else to get on stage Otherwise, and tell me about it. Not to say that you're an anti-intellectual, but you're kind of like, you know, you're what, propping you, yourself. What else? Up. What other perspective are you gaining? What are you seeing? What do you What do you like? You know, you want to meet people who are exposed. Yeah, and you want to meet someone who's gonna say, "No, no, no, I'm I'm gonna push back against that right now, and mm. here's why." You know what I mean? Yes. I want to have someone not necessarily to argue with, but someone that makes me go, "Ooh, okay, you get are, into it. You know your shit." I'm gonna be so mean, but you know, when you're talking about a book you've read or a podcast you've listened to, and someone will say. Oh, I never read. I don't have time. Or, oh, when do you listen to podcasts? It's like, listen, do whatever you want. I don't care. Read, don't read. <laughs> what are what would you like to add to the conversation? <laughs> you know, rather than I have I have nothing. Let me de- let me be defiant about how I have nothing to add. What would you like to contribute? What interests you? Tell me what interests but you. But it's also anti-intellectualism, and more importantly, we talked about at the top the. The fear of trying Ooh. has kind of it's per it's pervasive. So there's so many people that go, "Oh, I didn't try, so like I didn't fail, but I also didn't win." Oh, I don't read, so I don't have to look up this one word that I don't know because that's going to take a little bit more time. And Ooh. actually, that's what happens. 
Do you know, like, that's what it is, because people can read magazine articles. I read an, uh, I've been reading this book about writing by Samuel Delaney, who's a gay fantasy writer, and he says the reason that knowledge is so hard to come by is because gaining knowledge means that you're going to embarrass yourself, because when you look back on before you had the knowledge, you're humiliated for yourself. So people, especially now, don't want to put themselves through that embarrassment, so they'll say, well, fuck it, I don't, I don't need to know that. And then here we are. You can't know every polysyllabic word. You just no. learn them. You if you want if you're mad because you say, Oh, this is a bunch of obscure, arcane, esoteric references I don't get, and then you go back and look at it again and you go, Oh no, oh no, that that was thematic. All of that. Ooh, all of that was actually note. that that's was really you know what, note. that's me. So I think Learn and also be willing to invite people into conversations. I think that comedy sometimes can feel like uh, a lunch table. If we want to talk about Twitter two months ago, like <laughs> which lunch table are you sitting at? And like sometimes, yes. sometimes it'd be groups of things, and I'd be like, I'm at an integrated school, so I don't yeah, you know. Really are. <laughs> yeah, you're at like the student government meeting. Yeah, <laughs> model UN youth led legislature. Uh, I think that. Because sometimes comedy feels like that. You know that very high school? It's huge. Absolutely. Huge. And I just say always, like every now and then, say, hey, I've never met you before. What's up? Where are you from? What do you do? What do you get into? Not, And it's tough to be like, oh, where do you get up? Because that seems like that's a, a that's. That's always like a bit of a thinly veiled, how many times you perform, is it more than me? But if you say, hey, where are you from? Where do you hang out? Like, oh, you know so-and-so. I yeah. love them. But don't talk about them anymore. Then go, how would you guys meet? Oh, yeah, really cool. Like, yeah. I just... And that, I think that's the way that you keep yourself from getting myopic and shut in and, like, problematic is by <laughs> staying exposed. And that way, as you get older and young people come into the scene who are different than you, you can celebrate them because you're still curious. And everyone's younger than me. I just performed for college kids. And here's the crazy part. They're beautiful, and they could have been in their dorms wow. watching tons of available content, pirated and streamed or mm-hmm. otherwise, on their computers. But they chose to see me, and they chose to see a live comedy event. Yes. So I can never say, oh, young people are the problem. And it's so weird to hear people who aren't that much older than me say it. Like people I know on Facebook that say things like that. And I go, what are you What are you doing? Did you, didn't you just ask me how much money I made from that college day? Yeah. Okay, sure. Oh, all right. Yeah, young people are the problem. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. And Gen Z can't even be responsible for participation trophies because they don't even get them. You want to know why? Because they don't even... They heard so many people say participation trophies are bad, but they had the opposite reaction to things. They have to be so multidisciplined from right. the beginning. You right. don't even, you know what I mean? Right. That's Absolutely. the weird thing that happens because they're actually aware of their optics. They never had freedom. They're aware of their optics, and they're they they have to end gain constantly. Yeah. The interview for your daycare is the interview for your undergrad. Do you understand that? And you're right because I've been begrudging a lot of the younger comedians I meet for like not they're angry that they're not famous at 23. But I'll, you're right. I shouldn't be bitter at them. I should be bitter at like the world they're raised yeah, in. Yeah, be better not like at the millennials, but at Generation X. Those are their parents. Yeah. <laughs> 
and Gen oh god Gen X uh, things yeah it's, that's what happens when you get Pick the internet when you're 20 yeah <laughs> I know they just kind of fell over <laughs> they had great music though great music uh god I I never want this interview to end we it's get along so words. well but yeah, not like in a, I'm gonna it. like so, we're gonna suck each other's dicks and say we're great kind of way but like in a very and push back on that. some things we definitely but, yeah. can no this is a good Taurus friction I think that is cause we're both Yes, but sometimes that uh, doesn't lead to good, uh, a good clash. I feel like this is a good. Well, fire. I don't know my full chart. I know my sun sign. I don't know my full chart. Okay, but I do know that like I, I either have moments like this, and part of it is like not mania, but I'm so excited. This is so I love every bit of this. Yeah. And then if it's not that, sometimes I can go. I just want to eat. I know, I know. Can we light a candle? Can I? <laughs> can I? Can I please? Uh, be dead? Do I know. you have like something soft? I know. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any Aesop products? Yeah. Is there like a? Oh, I sense there's areas in your scent, chart. Oh, like sense. That's very. That's an earth thing. I love that's smells. Us. I was. I feel like that's one of my powers that I don't necessarily know. I'd have to like do a full uh, twenty three me to see if I have like the X gene, but I feel sometimes superhuman smell because mm. a smell can like overpower me to the mm. point where I'm like, this is, it's too much. Yeah, like my boyfriend can open a bag of salt and vinegar chips, and I can be like in the hallway of the apartment as I walk in. I go, how long have you been eating these? <laughs> like I just know they're there. Or I can be like they're they're in the garbage. Did you throw them away because you heard me coming down? Like, I, I just love senses. But that's like an earth sign thing. Like, I'm bound to Absolutely. This, like a corporal Centrality. Thing. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I sense there's areas in your chart. Ooh. So, okay, tonight, uh, as of this recording, you are recording the album. At yes. At New York Comedy Club at 7 and 10, correct? Yes, 7 and 9.15. 7 and 9.15. You're um, still on comedy time. Where can people follow you? <laughs> they can follow me at Jay Jordan. That's at J-A-Y-J-U-R-D-E-N. All one word on all platforms. I try to just make it streamlined for everything. Instagram, Twitter, whatever dating apps slash jokes you want to put in there. But Instagram and Twitter are the places where you can get the good stuff, the heat. You know, I say this to a lot of people that I want to have them back, but I actually would love to have you back. What? Because I feel like we just started. Dave, We that, clearly have so much more to get into. We can talk this about whatever you want. <laughs> I'm super down. Because we didn't even get into Fire Island. So that part two will be Woo! the Fire Island. Wow. And you memoirs. know what Fire Island is going to be about? It's going to be about owning your sexuality, your sensuality, and the fact that we are just renting this body for a limited amount of time. You might as well have a little fun. Yes, be naked and get your ass Yeah, in. I want to see more people's butts. Thank you. Don't you want to see Appreciate more Appreciate You know who complimented your butt and who complimented your close friends, Mary Beth Barone. She said, you and David Goldberg do it right. And that's coming from that's coming from millennial queen, euphoria incarnate, Mary Next Beth. Next level Charlie. Do you understand? Next level Charlie, 2099 Charlie. <clears throat> Mary Beth and you have been really essential to me because no matter which fuckboys come and go, when I just want to be supported and feel good about myself, if I take an underwear underwear or thong selfie, they go to you and Mary Beth, Zach Teague usually, and I know I'm going to get real love and affirmation. 100%. That's what this is here for. That's, that's right. what Instagram is for. That's what it should be. See, that this is why you're a genius, Jay, because you see past the negativity. 
Oh, 100%. You always do. And I really love that. Sometimes when people would attack me on Twitter, I would just send them pictures of me having fun on the beach. You know what I mean? I I don't want to I don't want to take I don't want to have to save your avatar, zoom in on your avatar and say, "Look at you." Yeah, no, right. I want to be like, "I'm having fun." <laughs> I'm hot. I'm having fun. Your T-zone looks great. Yeah. That's all that matters. Or even, even like, just figuring out how to get there. I sent someone a picture of me on the beach, and they said something about XX Tentacion, but they said I was, like, wearing a thong. And I was like, first of all, those are briefs, swim briefs. Brief like his life. Please leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. On that well-struck note. Uh, I hope, well, we will have you back very, very soon. Thank you for everything. Thank I can't you. can't wait uh, for this album. Oh, thank you so much, David. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of The Luminaries, let me know. Give me a five-star rating on iTunes. Write a glowing encomio. Share it on your Instagram stories. Email it to your Aunt Joan. And help make this series bigger and better with every episode. Thank you for listening, and let's grow together. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.